Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter uh, 13, and we'll begin at verse uh, 32. Acts chapter 13, and we'll begin at verse 32. I'm reading from the New Living Translation for some of you younger people. This is an excellent translation which allows the Word of God to come alive, and uh, for your devotional reading, I encourage you to use it. And we'll read uh, down to uh, verse 39. Paul, here in the context, is giving his uh, sermon and the history of uh, the children of Israel. And now we are here to bring you, verse 32, this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you sacred blessings, the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow, get get the phrase here, you will not allow, or the theme, your holy one to rot in the grave. Now this is not a reference to King David, for after King David had done the will of God in his own generation... He died and was buried with his ancestors, and his body did decay. No, it was a reference to someone else, someone whom God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers and sisters, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins, and everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. May God pour out his spirit on his holy word as we go to him now. Let's pray for a moment. In the quiet of your heart, ask God to forgive you your sins so that you can listen the way the Holy Spirit wants you to hear. Nothing will get in the way of you hearing the Holy Spirit. Just pray for a moment and ask God to cleanse you through his forgiveness. Father God, forgive me of my sin so that nothing gets in the way of your Holy Spirit speaking. Where words and phrases come out wrong or incorrectly, I pray that through the Spirit you will translate them into the ears of the listeners. We may have come here this morning, Lord, out of a sense of habit, duty. We may have even been dragged here reluctantly. I pray, Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit... You will make this brief time we have together in your word powerful, effective, and energizing. And may it be clear and plain so that you have all of the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My father and mother served for well over two decades with a ministry called the SIM in the country of Ethiopia, East Africa. I was born and raised there, lived there for 17 years before coming back to Canada for my schooling. When we came home on furlough when I was a little guy, my dad would do a lot of speaking. He was well-known, renowned as a motivational-style, recruiting-style of speaker. And one day I was with him in Calgary, Alberta. I was sitting in the front row like you guys are doing here this morning. And the pastor, who was a good friend of my father, stood up and introduced him this way. 
not as gracious as Scott did for me this morning. This is what he said. Today our speaker is George Middleton. Hang on to your wallets. Hang on to your children. He's going after both of them. You've just been through an emphasis on missions. And generally I'm known as a mission speaker and have been here, but I'm not here today after your wallets or your children. I am here today after me and you. It is very interesting to me that Christianity and the definition of Christianity has been perverted much of the way through my boomer generation. Let me make it clear. Christianity is not about churches. It is not about rules. It is not about mission agencies. It is not about foreign countries. It is not about programs. It is not about money or you doing everything you can to avoid being sent to a Ouagadougou. Christianity is about God and God alone. And when you begin to understand God, you begin to understand that God has an agenda for our history, our era, our world. And then you begin to understand that he actually expects you as a Christian to participate in that agenda fully. Theologians call it a sovereign plan. By the way, Christianity also, if you are not a Christian here this morning and and uh, are worried about its claims or challenging its claims, Christianity also offers the best explanation of who you are and why you are here on earth. So let's look at verse 36 from this passage of Scripture. And you will find that if you understand the principles laid out in this passage of Scripture, your Christian life, if it is mundane at this point, will become not only exciting, it will be eternally rewarding and fulfilling. And if you are not a Christian here this morning, I want you to seriously, at the end of the service, go away and find God. And don't stop until you've found him. God gives you the ability to reject him. He doesn't force you. But make sure you go away and search for God. Verse 36 says, this is not a reference to King David, for after King David had done the will of God in his generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. Now let's take that in sequence. David, if I asked you to define David for me this morning, I would get a lot of different answers. He was a shepherd, he was a bear, lion, and giant killer. He was good with a sling, he was a great musician, he was a singer. He was a rebel leader, he was a king, a warrior, he was handsome, he was a great dancer, he was a friend, he was a husband, he was a father, and oh yeah, that thing with Bathsheba. Very few of you would have selected a category that says, David was a son of God. And I love the fact that he is named here. David, put your name in there. What do people think about when they say your name, when they say Mark, when they say your name? Do you know what God thinks? When God says your name, the image he thinks of is himself. 
What an incredible statement. The Bible in Genesis says that we were created in the image of God. So that when you find God, you are identified with his image. Now what broke that? Sin, obviously. Sin destroyed the relationship we had with God and sin marred the image we have. My wife and I have the privilege of attending the People's Church now. That is our. Can I say that here? Is that okay? All right, okay. We attend the People's Church. And Charles Price made a statement the other, uh, about uh, six months ago that just sat me straight up. And when you think about it, it's very interesting. If something is not of God, there is only one other source it can come from. Think of that. If your image is not God's image, you are mirroring only one other source. David found his identity in God. In fact, God called him a man after his own heart. Did David sin? Absolutely. Was he forgiven? This passage is full of forgiveness. Of course, you and I must start with the image of God. But I'm not talented. I'm not gifted. I can't sing. I can't be a loudmouth up here. I'm just kind of a nobody forgotten out there. I love Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is a hall of fame of the Old Testament heroes. And you get names like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Rahab. Rahab? Don't you love God? You can grow up in the courts of Pharaoh. You can get your Ph.D. from the University of Cairo. You can be the leader that led the children of Israel out of Egypt and across the desert. You can be Joshua and lead them into the promised land, or you can grow up on the streets. When God gets a hold of you, you have his image. What an amazing thing. The second thing I see in this is that more often than not, Christianity has become a behavior improvement program, not an understanding that I am made in the image of God. That's why we resent the rules and regulations in churches and the organized religion approach to Christianity. Jesus says, identify with me because you are created in my image. Nobody in this room is, it has no value. God loves you. And he says it clearly. We move on. David, after he had served God... I had an interesting uh, past two weeks. I was able to interview two um, executives. I met with them. Both were very accomplished. Both were strong Christians. Both had achieved. The first was the first woman ever to break through the glass ceiling of her investment banking firm and become a director. She's an incredible woman, an incredible leader. The second was a noted forensic auditor. And yet in the course of my conversation with them, both stated that I, Mark Middleton, was the one really doing the will of God because of my chosen profession being a missionary or being involved in missions. They felt somehow that because they weren't a pastor or they weren't in missions, they were second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Nothing grieves me more. Nothing. May I make it very clear, what does the phrase, after he had done the will of God, mean to you? 
Well, it means I go to a Ouagadougou. I love that name, by the way. I use it a lot. And I have been there. The Bible is very clear. Doing the will of God simply means not doing what you want to do, but what God wants you to do. Luke records Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows the horror of what he is going to face, and Jesus says to God the Father, I want this cup to pass from me, but nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Adam and Eve were the first ones to walk away from God and do what they wanted to do. God said you can do anything, but you can't do that. So guess what they did? Just like moths to a flame. Boom. Now, looking at it from Calvary Baptist Church's point of view, on this day in November 2011, Adam and Eve's decision was monumentally stupid. Am I right? They had everything in the Garden of Eden. And they still went for the thing they were told they couldn't do. And yet, if I'm honest... I know that every day of my life, I say exactly the same words to God. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I want to do what I want to do. When you begin to understand that obedience to God is doing the will of God, you get what Oswald Chambers was saying. And I love this. If you forget everything else this morning, listen to this. The Lord does not give me rules. Got it, Fellowship Baptist? I can say it. I'm, I, for 26 years, I'm Fellowship Baptist. Okay, I can say this. The Lord does not give me rules, but he makes his standard very clear. If my relationship to him is that of love, I will do what he says without hesitation. If I hesitate to obey him, it is because I love someone I have placed in competition with him, namely myself. Jesus Christ will not force me to obey him, but as soon as I do obey him, I fulfill my spiritual destiny. Wow. My personal life may be crowded with small, petty happenings, altogether insignificant, but if I obey Jesus Christ in the seemingly random circumstances of life, they become pinholes through which I see the face of God. And when I stand face to face with God someday... I will discover that through my obedience, thousands were blessed. When God's redemption brings a human soul to the point of obedience, it always produces. If I obey Jesus Christ, the redemption of God flows through me into the lives of others because behind every deed of obedience is the reality of of Almighty God. Do you believe that? Small decision. Do right, do wrong. I'll choose right. The power of Almighty God takes that into eternity. Don't you love that? That's doing the will of God. And you can do that from being an investment banker, or you can do it from being a forensic scientist, or you can do it from being a missionary overseas. When you obey, you fulfill your spiritual destiny. Notice that David did the will of God now in his generation. What does that mean? My identity in God and my daily obedience to God allows me now to serve him in my generation. I love this. 
God has raised up Christians in every generation who have carefully followed him, identified with him, and obeyed him. And because of that, you heard the gospel, and you're a Christian now. Have you ever realized that? You got spiritual ancestry way back. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that you have to have the title missionary or pastor so that you can be used by God. Did you hear that? You can tell this is one of my hobby horses. Listen carefully. Missionaries in the traditional sense of the word, like George and Dorothy Middleton, my parents, are merely the international sales force of Christianity. That's all they are. They go where the gospel hasn't been preached, work until there's a national church with its own leadership, and unless at that point they are invited to stay in the country, they should get out and go somewhere else where the gospel hasn't been preached. That's what missionaries do. Pastors, on the other hand, are those who empower you to go out into your secular world and identify with God and obey God so that you can bring people to God. If you are a businessman or woman, you are not simply here in this congregation this morning to pay the bills so the pastoral staff and the missionaries can go do the work. You are involved in God's strategy. You're an integral part of it. Who would you rather listen to if you're an investment banker? Me or another investment banker who loves Jesus Christ? Who speaks the language? Who knows the culture? You're invested in the strategy of going and helping people. And because of faithful generations of previous missionaries, because of faithful generations of Christians who identified with God, obeyed God, and served God in their generation... Let's take Ethiopia, for example. My parents went there in 1948. It was deep, dark, and mysterious. Today, there are over... When when they went there, there was just a small baby church. Today, there are over, are you ready? Eight million Christians in Ethiopia. And if we weren't Fellowship Baptists, we'd get excited. But we're not allowed to be excited, so we'll just keep it down here, okay? No, not too much. Was it because my parents were such great missionaries? No. It's because God has a sovereign plan that is sweeping down through the ages, and we are an integral part of doing it. Young people, stand for God. Identify with God. Nobody in this room, nobody in this room that God has called out can say, well, I don't belong or I have no part in it. You will stand for God in this godless generation of Canada that we have now. And then he says something very interesting. Because we have this great family of God around the world, the real challenge for our generation is this. Can we work effectively together as the global family of God to influence people to God both within and outside our national boundaries? Do you know what some of the early missionaries, they prayed, they dreamed about it, were living it? God has his church all over the world today. We get to work with them. Hallelujah. How do we work together effectively to get the job done? That's our generation's mandate. And then the verse finally says, he died. Hmm. David, after he had done the will of God in his generation, died. We're all going to die. And I have to be sensitive here. 
because some of you may have just gone through the process of a loved one. But everybody in this room is going to die. What does that tell me? Well, first it tells me that Christianity and God's strategy for the whole world is not about us. It's about God. Because we're all going to die. Look at what he says here about David. David was buried alongside other dead people. That's what the verse says, just in case you were worried, okay? David was buried alongside other dead people who were his ancestors, and his body decayed. And whoever buried him, Solomon the group, probably put him in the grave along with his ancestors, went back to the palace and ate potato salad and finger sandwiches and talked about him. Look, you're not expecting King David to come here tonight and do that concert, are you? He was a fabulous musician, but he's not showing up tonight. You're not expecting Daniel to show up here next Sunday and preach about how he got thrown into the lion's den and the lions didn't eat him, are you? You're not expecting Paul and Peter to have a debate panel up here on the platform about legalism. You're not expecting Luther and Calvin to show up somewhere along the line, although that would be fun, and watch them debate Calvinism versus Armenianism. You're not. They're dead from an earthly standpoint. They're gone. And what it teaches me is that God does not depend on us. He uses us to get his objects done. It takes away all the pride. It takes away all the feelings that God needs us to do his work. He has me. How important I am. A few years ago, um, when I belonged to Springvale Baptist Church, I know you will find this hard to believe, I used to play baseball for the church. And when Craig Jeffries wasn't there to pitch, they asked me to pitch. So I would go pitch. Now, those of you who are Fellowship Baptists will understand the importance of the game that I am talking about. We were playing the dreaded Pentecostals in the playoffs. We're up 3-2 to two in the seventh inning, last inning. Two out, two on. I had two strikes on the batter. Isn't this cool? Great story, all right? I threw a pitch. In my eyes, it was a perfect strike. Caught the outside corner. It was right there. The ump called it a ball. I'm stomping around the mound, trying to collect myself, thinking this is ridiculous. That was a strike. I know it was a strike. I know it was a strike. Through the next pitch, are you ready? Guy hit a home run. We lost the game. It's true. Now I'm ticked. I'm walking back to the bench. I'm kicking the dirt. I'm suggesting the ump needs glasses. I'm questioning his heritage out loud. (laughs) And in a fit of stupidity, which my wife still castigates me about and brings up when we are discussing things together, I threw my glove over the fence and sat down on the bench. My coach slid in beside me, Bill McKnight, put his arm around me. I thought, this is nice. He's going to sympathize with me. He says, I have just one thing to say, Mark. I said, what is it, Bill? He said, you don't pitch well enough to argue with the umpire. (laughs) What a great lesson. I've taken it into golf now, okay? I don't get mad about golf shots because I don't play well enough to get angry. May I point out that there is nothing you can do that impresses God? Did you hear me? 
Nothing you can do that impresses God. The Bible describes even our best works as filthy rags. And so isn't it interesting now? When we look at David passing away, that we realize that only God brings eternal things. And we understand that Hudson Taylor, the great Chinese missionary, got it right when he said, I used to ask God to help me. That's how I started my Christian life. Then I asked if I might help him. I ended up by asking him to do his work through me. You don't work for God. He works through you. And all of a sudden, life is different. And you watch eternity being affected. Michael Kellen John Hutchins was born on January 22, 1960, and died on the 22nd of November, 1997. He was an Australian musician, actor, and the founding lead singer-songwriter of a rock band called In Excess. Cement heads from the 80s will know that. And from 1977 to his death, he was famous. Hutchins won the Best International Artist at the 1991 Brit Awards. But his private life was a mess. Often reported in the Australian and international press with a string of love affairs with prominent actresses, models, and singers. Hutchins eventually established a relationship with UK television presenter Paula Yates, which began while she was still married to music artist and Live Aid organizer Bob Geldof. Hutchins and Yates had a daughter in 1996, just after she divorced Geldof. Hutchins died in 1997. It was determined by the New South Wales coroner of Australia to be the result of suicide. That finding was disputed by Yates, Hutchins' family, and his fans. In the year 2000, Paula Yates died of a heroin overdose, and their daughter, Michael's and her daughter, was placed in Geldof's custody with her half-sisters. The last famous song that he wrote had the title, Elegantly Wasted. Here's the first verse. Look at all that shines. Baby's down on the world, and she knows it. If your spirit's running, why don't we make it rain like we used to? We run, we hide, we wait, and we want the good life. Ah, sure, you're right. This ain't the good life. Elegantly wasted. Michael Hutchins' life wasn't elegantly wasted. It was tragically wasted. It was tragically wasted because he never identified himself with God. He never obeyed God. He never recognized that in his generation he was created by God in his image to serve him with the talents and gifts and abilities that he had given Michael Hutchins. And when he died, the relationships that he had established and the chaos that he had established still is going on. What a difference when you read about King David or you read about Daniel or you read about Paul. Listen to what Paul says. 
in Philippians 2.17. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service, an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Christians who serve God, martyrs down through the ages, people who have lost their lives for the gospel, including yesterday in Egypt. Brothers and sisters that I know, executed by the Muslim Brotherhood for their faith in Jesus Christ. They're the ones who are elegantly wasted because God will never allow their obedience their identification, their passion for their generation to end in decayed death. From verse 34 to 37, you read the word decay, 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 decay. That's the world around us. It's in decay. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who bridges decay to life again. Renewal in the image of God, the ability to impact eternity, rescuing people out of that decay and giving them life again. So I'm going to ask you to pray for your brothers and sisters all over the world. When Rick and Lynn went to Maui, Hawaii, what a tough place to serve God. When they went to Maui, Hawaii, They said, how are we ever going to explain this to the church? They're not going to let us go. That isn't a mission field. I said, just go. Then he said, ah, you always oversell things, Mark. You're such a positive, optimistic salesperson. You always oversell things. When they came back, they said, Mark, you undersold it. Here's what happened. We met the family of God around the world. This is a snapshot of the people, the type of people that they met from all over the world who identify themselves with God, who obey God, who run in their generation and know that when they die, their work will go on for eternity. So on behalf of Haggai Institute, I thank you for sponsoring the individual from Tunisia, Ben. Ben is interesting because Tunisia is now changing. The Islamic extremist brotherhood is taking over. Ben's line to me was, I hope to be trained in 2012 if, if I am still alive. But I also know that if God takes him to heaven through the evil of people who do not understand God, his work in the church, underground church in Tunisia, will live forever. This is a great day to be a Christian. I know there's decay out there. I know the world looks crazy. I know Canada seems like it's forgotten God. Hallelujah for a group of people like this church who identify with God, are willing to obey him, are willing to run in this generation until God calls you home. Let's pray. You may be here today and you really don't understand what we're talking about with God. You look at the world and say it's a mess and you say, why would God allow that? That's because he gave us a choice and we have chosen to disobey him 
and the result of the chaos in the world is because we as human beings don't obey God. It's that simple. If you don't know God today, there are beautiful men and women in this church, young people who know God and who would be happy to talk to you about God. If you're a Christian here and your life has been about the rules and the regulations of the church and about agencies and institutions, come back to God. Identify with God. When people ask you, who do you belong to? You belong to God. You're his child. Obey him. And if you fail to obey, ask for forgiveness. He gives it. Be cleaned by the Holy Spirit so you can run in this generation until he takes you home. Father, thank you for this group. Take the words that we have spoken and in the power of your Holy Spirit, translate them properly. In Jesus' name, amen. Bob just sung. We pray that we meant them. And I pray that I meant them too. Take us away from here with the amazing knowledge that when you say our names, you think of yourself. Take us away from here with a commitment to obey you, knowing that it produces eternal results. Help us to run with passion in our generation until you come back to get us or we go home to be with you, whichever comes first. In Jesus' name.